real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is Wednesday, June 24th, 2020. And it's been a really busy morning, huh? From Roger Stone to General Flynn, uh, you know, finally, finally, finally free uh, to... uh, the judge getting some real egg on his face to the left, losing their mind and now going full speed ahead to make sure that their conviction with Roger Stone sticks. We've got South Dakota's governor eerily saying that they will protect Mount Rushmore. We had Bubba Smollett again and then Pelosi. Four minutes tops was her whole convo today. And she made absolutely no sense. Well, We knew what she was talking about, but whoa, whoa. Now, um, (laughs) it's, it's, it's getting pretty crazy to, you know, we have to admit it because you know what? They never thought that she was going to lose. They thought they had everything in their hands. They thought they had it in the bag. They thought that was it. Now, can't wait for my general to go into the FBI and rock out. Or maybe, maybe, even though I'd love him at the FBI, I would prefer him at the CIA. I would prefer him at the CIA. I mean, Gina Haspel has been sitting there collecting dust for a while now. Uh, So we had uh, some interesting announcements from uh, Secretary Pompeo, um, which are, which we're going to cover. We're going to cover Bubba Smollett. Uh, we're going to cover, uh, President Trump's, uh, talk yesterday, um, in Arizona, um, and, uh, everything else in between. Uh, that's the news for today. The news for today is Lady Justice is finally bl- blind, but, uh, has her blonde moments from the fact that you have to, you know, go through some Olympia-sized gymnastics in order to see justice, unless you're a Democrat, of course. So I thought we could listen to Pelosi uninterrupted for the full, let me see how long is she? She is three minutes and 40 seconds. Wow. Take a listen to her. H.R. 1, which would make the first two possible by reducing the role of big dark money in politics preventing us from accomplishing other goals in the public interest rather than the special interest. On the subject of health care, this was a reiteration of what we had run on in 2006. Six for 06. One of our six was to uh, give the secretary the authority to negotiate for lower prices. We knew then, right Frank, and we knew now that that was the only way we could take down uh, these prices. Of of those six rows, six, five of them became law, one did not, and that was giving the the, uh, secretary the authority to negotiate for lower prices. That is the heart of HR 3, which is very much a part of the legislation you'll hear very much about today. So I'm honored that we're here with Richie Neal by video. Um, Mr. Pallone, whose committee has so much jurisdiction in terms of, of health care, Mr. Uh, Chairman of the uh, Education and Labor Committee, Bobby Scott, these three committees were there from the start, developing that, developing the Affordable Care Act, 
uh, all of them were very much a part of shaping that. Now we want to enhance it, and so these three leadership of these three committees are here today to do that. Let me just say that what we're, we didn't envision when we were doing HR 3 in December that we would be in the middle of a pandemic now, but we are. All the more reason, all the more reason for us to remove all doubt of the affordability of health care. This is about the lives, the livelihood of the American people. And I always like to quote Mr. Clyburn, who always likes to quote Martin Luther King, who said, of all the forms of inequality, injustice in health is the most shocking and the most inhuman because it also often results in physical death. Well, that is true, generally speaking. It is also true at the center of this pandemic where there is a disproportionate number of deaths in communities of color because of inequality of access to health care. So that's what we're here to talk about. I, am, I could say a lot about each of the people who is here. Lauren Underwood, Colin Allred, Andy Kim, Angie Craig, part of our freshman class, who from day one, and, that, and uh, where does he, from day one, have taken the lead on this, and in terms of asserting Congress's right to, uh, to um, fight the, in court against the president's repeal of the Affordable Care Act, repeal of uh, uh, pre-existing condition benefit repeal of so many uh, opportunities for people from day one, and they'll talk about their roles in all that as they join our distinguished chairman. In between it all, Mr. Ruiz, a physician, uh, many degrees in uh, public health and, and uh, medicine, as well as a member of Congress, will speak to us about that juxtaposition of policy. All right. So they're going to pass a bill. They want to pass a bill that reinforces the Affordable Care Act, basically. So it can't be repealed because apparently, you know, uh, the president is repealing the part where pre-existing conditions um, are covered, which is the one thing he said he's not going to do. Uh, but anyway, here's her Q&A session. This is the most important one. Congressman Maurice mentioned and was alluded to also by Mr. Um, Scott, tomorrow the Supreme Court will hear the brief from the Trump administration on, as to taking down the Affordable Care Act, right in the heart of the time of the uh, pandemic. It was wrong any time. Now it's beyond stupid. Beyond stupid. Well, um, see, if you're affected by the pandemic, you're covered. That was already covered. So I don't know how the Affordable Care Act going out the window affects you. Hmm. I thank our colleagues, our freshman members, each of whom has a piece of legislation in here from their own entrepreneurial thinking, from their experience, whether it's a healthcare professional, uh, the experience of New Jersey as a person who uh, had your family experience, but also worked professionally, uh, the Congresswoman Craig, and of course, what? Mr. Allred, who started all of this on the very first day of the Congress. Tomorrow, that's tomorrow. Today, we will, with, under the rule, we will go to the Rules Committee to make this legislation in order. Tomorrow, they'll do their brief to take down the Affordable Care Act, and they'll remove all 
even semblance of reality when they say, oh, we're all, I heard one on TV yesterday say, we're all for uh, the uh, benefit of, of a, a, a pre-existing condition not being... So we go to CVS and say we're all for it? Or was that CBS? An obstacle to health insurance and health care. We're all for that. Oh, really? Then get off the case. Or tell the president to get off the case. But nonetheless, that's tomorrow. On Monday, this important legislation will come to the floor of the House. We hope it will get bipartisan support. It certainly meets the needs of Democrats, Republicans, Independents, and it declined to states, whatever they call themselves, across the country. Uh, because the issue of health... Why identify health with political uh, inclination? So basically, it'll benefit Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, and those that decline to say what they are. Just say it benefits all American people. Makes no sense. She's politicizing health now. See? Here knows no party, and the issue of a pandemic certainly does not as well. We talked to Dr. King, I mentioned earlier, said the fierce urgency of now. It isn't just the fierce urgency of now. It is the opportunity of now that we have to make this difference. As Mr. Rudy said again and again, for the people. As Mr. Rudy said, um, you were just quoting Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I'm so confused. So I thank all of our colleagues, and I thank uh, Chairman Bobby Scott, Chairman uh, Frank Pallone, and Chairman Richie Neal for their leadership in bringing this bill to the floor on Monday. With that, I thank you all. Wash your hands, wear a mask, take care, keep your distance. Thank you all. So did anybody else find that bizarre? I totally found that bizarre. Um, But, you know, Nancy's going to be Nancy, isn't she? Um, She's going to be (laughs) singing her tune no matter what. Now, uh, aside from them trying to battle the fact that there's going to be a discussion about the Affordable Care Act, uh, so timely though, right? Thanks, Supreme Court. Um, you know, we're finding that the Supreme Court is coming out on an expose, uh, shortly, something we discussed here on the Tory Sess show in 2018, which is the involvement of the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court within, uh, all these discussions with, uh, General Flint. Now, while it's been mildly put that he was there for simple legal advice, no, 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 um, His name is not being mentioned by many, and it is important to see what his tune-in was, because why would you tap the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court for advice? That makes absolutely no sense. But we'll talk about that uh, in a little bit. Right now, what I wanted to look at is the autonomous zone. And the reason I say this, this racial division that they've been pushing and pushing and pushing, right? Uh, because they want a civil war and they're going to be pushing as far as they can, uh, just to see the boundaries. Okay. They want to see the boundaries. And that's the most 
oddest part of it all. So let's take a listen to what the South Dakota governor said about Mount Rushmore. Take a listen. Well, what started as a movement against Confederate symbols now expanding to other historical figures, including former presidents like Jackson and Roosevelt. And as calls for removal grow louder, our next guest vows to protect one of the most iconic monuments in the world, Mount Rushmore. Right. Uh, Joining us now is South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem. Governor, we were thinking about you because it seems like every all our monuments and tributes to the past are under a microscope. Are you concerned that you're going to be the Mount Rushmore is going to be the subject of protest or defilement? You know, it certainly could be, and we've seen some activity online where people have made threats to that. Uh, What my message is, is that this is no longer about equality. This is a radical rewriting of our history, and in South Dakota, we won't stand for it. Uh, This is a national monument. Uh, The more we focus on the flaws of these men that are on our mountain, uh, the less likely we are to recognize the virtues and the lessons we can learn from their lives. So that really is the message that I have for South Dakotans that love this mountain and Mount Rushmore for this country that recognize what it represents to us and uh, we will do all that we can to make sure that that message is loud and clear that we will make sure that Mount Rushmore stays as majestic as it is today. How, how do you plan on stopping it if it does go that far? You know this is obviously a, a federal uh, mountain. It is a national monument. It is something that we will partner with them and use the resources of the state to make sure that we have security measures in place. I won't get into specifics, but we do have actions together that we're working on. We have the president visiting on July 3rd, and we're excited about that, but we also know that this uh, threat to the mountain could remain in place for quite some time, and we're prepared to be there and be diligent about protecting it. Yeah, you know, uh, Governor, there are a number of governors across the country who are not taking the bold stand you are about not on my watch. Uh, and, and we have heard that as well from Donald Trump. He's made it very clear. You, you, you break the law, you're going to get into trouble. Ultimately, as people look in, that, and as people feel frustrated, America's spiraling out of control and nobody's doing anything, although Donald Trump's trying to. Doesn't that ultimately politically fire up his base? It does. I think it should fire up every single American that loves this country. Uh, This whole conversation has changed. It's gone away from equality. And it's a radical movement that's rewriting our history that will take away all the lessons that we want to teach our kids and our grandkids. Uh, George Washington was a unifier. He brought this country together to lead us at a time when we needed the birth of the nation to get started. Um, You know, we have Thomas Jefferson, who was an author of the Declaration of Independence, that gave us the all men are created equal. Lincoln made it happen, brought it to reality. Uh, Roosevelt was the first man to dine with an African-American at the White House. So these are these men have flaws obviously every leader has flaws but we're missing the opportunity we have did you guys hear that um alert someone's phone went off with an alert was that an amble alert emergency alert mm-hmm. in this discussion to talk about the virtues and what they brought to this country and the fact that uh, this is a foundation that we're built on and the heritage we should be carrying forward Governor, the way you've put this is as eloquent as anyone I've heard describe why it's important to have symbols of America, not because they were perfect, but because they made major impacts on the country that gets better and better every year. Some would look at this and say, if we're going to get better, we have to start pulling down the imperfect. 
And are, as you sit in South Dakota, and I've been to Mount Rushmore, we did a great feature. I was able to go behind Mount Rushmore, see this uh, incredible design and see how it took place, the mistakes that were made along the way, the way they had to adapt to the side of the mountain. How did we get to the point where we are the greatest critic of our own country? We have enough enemies outside our border. Now the enemies seem to be within our border. You know, I think we just need to continue to push that the truth gets told. Um, you know, this country isn't perfect. Nobody in this country is perfect. Uh, but we learn from our mistakes, and that's what history brings to us each and every day as an opportunity to do better. Uh, that's what these men represent to us, is they did amazing things for this country, and we can do even better if we work together and quit dividing and destroying, but instead build each other up, encourage each other, learn, and, and look to creating uh, an America that really really does exemplify what their dreams were. Uh, and that is what this whole conversation has completely shifted from. And that is one of the reasons that every day we need to continue to use these opportunities to educate folks on, on why this country is special and why it needs to be defended and why we need to protect these kind of monuments to make sure that story is told. Yeah, the beauty uh, of, our, of all of this, of the system our founders and framers began or started, is that we can correct wrongdoings, correct injustices, That's and right. become a better union. Thank you so much, Governor, for being with us. So in other words, if you erase history, you erase everything, then you have nothing to, you know, work on. Uh, apparently everything's gone, so there's nothing there to see. And with that matter, uh, we should just take everything down as well, uh, because that is what we need to have happen. Uh, because we said so. No, uh, your mistakes or your badges, uh, at the time that they existed, slavery was normal. Uh, doesn't mean it was right. Uh, kind of like hanging people in the town square was normal. Doesn't mean it was right. Burning people because they were witches happened. Doesn't mean it was right. But at the time they saw that that is the way things go. Archaic in our eyes, but actual uh, you know, actions that would happen in theirs. So th these are the things that they are trying to do, which is erase the, erase our history. Because if you can erase the history and you can rewrite the history and say, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, well, don't look at, what is that? What are the uh, night at the museum? I guess we got to get rid of that too, right? We got to get rid of that, that, that movie or, you know, sub Teddy Roosevelt with something else. I mean, why stop there, right? Uh, George Washington's next, too, because he's racist. Take a listen to how they analyze the protesters pushing to create an autonomous zone in D.C. Listen to this. A black house autonomous zone outside of the White House. The move getting a strong response from President Trump. He sent out a tweet. There will never be an autonomous zone in Washington, D.C. As long as I'm your president, if they try, they will be met with serious force. And that prompted Twitter to flag his post as a violation of their rule. All right. Here to weigh in live from the White House, counsel to the president, uh, Kellyanne Conway. Uh, Kellyanne, do you agree with Twitter or you agree with the president? Well, Twitter seems to be very selective as to who, what, where, when, and why, and how they flag uh, certain tweets. I think the broader issue is what's important here. There's a huge difference to the president and the rest of us between peaceful, peace and protesting, and violence and vandalism. I, I can't believe Nancy Pelosi and people like that 
are so quick to remove statues in the statuary hall and remove portraits of former speakers of the house. She has walked by those statues and paintings for years and has never yet cast a positive vote in favor of school choice, which disproportionately helps, thank God, uh, kids of color in communities where they are trapped in failing schools. So it also seems to just be a convenient, easy way for some people to not do their jobs, to actually help people the way President Trump has helped all Americans, including the forgotten man, woman, and child in our communities of color. Yesterday, I was with the vice president of Wisconsin, and we spoke about the 30th anniversary of the school choice program there in Wisconsin, which really has led to many educational freedom scholarships and charter schools and school choice and alternatives to public schools where they are failing kids, which of course is not everywhere. And I'll tell you, the president said, even as a candidate five years ago, that if we can dig out the Panama Canal, put a man on the moon, win two world wars, we ought to be able as a nation to provide a quality education for each child. This empowers parents. So my message to those who want to rip down statues and remove portraits in the Capitol, where's your vote to actually help people? Uh, easy, convenient, but also vandalism and violence and who is it helping? Uh, listen to the brother of George Floyd, God rest his soul. Listen to uh, the widow of uh, Mr. Brooks in Atlanta. They're saying peaceful protesting. And that's not what we're seeing. And look at what happened in Seattle. The mayor there looks foolish today. She basically said, we're just having a beer garden, little back mm -hmm. backyard barbecue. It's fine. Let them be there. There was somebody lost their lives. She's rethinking it now. She's calling in the police to help her. That's what happens when things get too far. So, Kellyanne, it's one thing to criticize a president, but it's another to criticize his or one day her children. And that's what happened. This guy, John Henson, I used to think he was so funny on Talk, talk Soup, but very disappointed in what he tweeted over the weekend. He wrote, it's now deleted, but he wrote, I hope Barron gets to spend today with whoever his dad is. Now, this guy is now on the Food Network. Uh, that was tweet, uh, that was deleted. But Stephanie Grisham, Melania's spokeswoman, uh, she said this to the Daily Caller. She said, sadly, we continue to see inappropriate and insensitive comments about the president's son. As with every other administration, a minor child should be off limits and allowed to grow up with no judgment or hate from strangers and the media. What do you say, Kellyanne? Well, I've made part company here a little bit with even mentioning this and naming the guy who said the tweet because I think you're giving him a platform respectfully. Yeah, there's a, I thought about that too, but Kids it is Kids are news. off limits. I didn't even know who he was, and now people do, but uh, sure. But uh, the first lady has been very protective of her son. All of his parents are. And uh, Stephanie Grisham is absolutely correct. Kids are off limits. Look, Chelsea Clinton was 12 when her father was elected. The Obama daughters were very young, even younger than that, I believe. But we should all treat them. I used to say you've got to treat them like Fabergé eggs. They're off limits. Yes. You don't touch them. You don't talk about them. I feel very strongly about that. And people somehow believe that if they can just say it, they should. There should be no unexpressed thought or tweet left in America. Folks, you can have unexpressed thoughts left. And by the way, it's not funny. When did comedy become so unfunny mm. and so overly political? So um, he has every right to to be a kid like everyone else, and I'll just leave it at that. There you go. Uh, at the outset, you were talking about Twitter. You mentioned school choice, which I know the president has been talking a lot about. You have as well. 
Will the private schools, like the Catholic schools and other private schools, be able to get some sort of stimulus money from the fourth round of uh, pandemic relief? Uh, because I, I have heard from the Cardinal here in New York City, they are going to have to close a bunch of schools that serve uh, a lot of communities that uh, are funded by the Sunday collection plate that they have not been able to do for months. So is the administration going to be able to get together with Congress to help the schools? Yes, and that question is really for Congress because President Trump led a call with um, hundreds and hundreds of Catholic leaders and educators and parents, and, and Cardinal Dolan was on that call, Cardinal O'Malley of Boston, Archbishop Gomez of Los Angeles District, and other leaders. And we have a two-part plan right now. Uh, that we are presenting. One is for emergency relief for many of these non-public schools. And the second part are these education freedom scholarships, which have been around for a while. Uh, Congressman Bradley Byrne sponsored them in the House, Senator Ted Cruz in the Senate. They're really picking up a great deal of steam. Why? Because the education freedom scholarships uh, doesn't, doesn't use government money, really. It's about right. $5 billion in private donations where you're repurposing your tax your tax payments and so that you can you can give people choices and it's administered through uh, sponsored organizations that are approved in your state. We have about 17 or 8 states like Florida and Arizona where these scholarships, education freedom scholarships have been transformative. I've met the students and their parents and this is incredibly important because you say correctly that our parents are being denied their choice because of the COVID pandemic to send their kids to schools and I would remind everybody about one-fifth of our students nationwide in Catholic schools are not Catholic and over mm -hmm. one in five are kids of color in our inner cities uh, they're often a majority of black and Hispanic children so you're denying them and their parents to yep. continue the education they put before them we need Democrats to support this this is a time for them to say that looking at the tripartisan support in the polls for school choice and education freedom scholarships that we've seen everywhere you have right. vast majorities of Millennials African Americans okay. Hispanic women everybody really supports the idea of education freedom and school choice please don't stand in the schoolhouse door gotcha. not allowing these kids to exit failing schools All right. See, that's the thing. We talked about this, right, on the Tory Says Show, where it's the, the, the Democrats don't want uh, freedom uh, of the parents being able to send their kid to a better school, uh, to send them to a better school outside of their zone, because then that makes them smart and intelligent and in a more fostered environment where they learn that they don't have to behave uh, in a certain way in order to survive because that's what happens in areas like that. I I actually went to uh, a middle school that was uh, right across the street from one of the biggest projects in Queens, New York. And uh, the kids that would be going there, obviously uh, at that time, uh, you know, in the... Um, early 90s uh, and late um, 80s, they had started uh, putting children outside of the district for special programs. So what they did was uh, they uh, funded uh, that uh, middle school with money for computer science. So after leaving another area that was like riddled with, uh, you know, whatever, but had a lot of funding, the aerospace academy that I did uh, in the 
fourth, fifth grade and some of the sixth grade, they wanted to put me into the computer science one, um, which was, uh, you know, right across the street from Bryant High School. And um, that's where I uh, went for middle school. And yes, uh, creating these programs and then bringing all these nerds in, right, for special programs is great, but there was still a dichotomy in the school. That doesn't help. What helps is, is that nobody wants to go to the school and they shut it down. And if they, and if they don't fix the school and put actual good educators in there and fix the way education is taught, then, you know, there's no school there, period. Shut it down. We don't need a school that has educators that are low-level educators. Low-level educators, yeah, because they send teachers that don't care into these institutions. Oh, no, no, you shouldn't be saying that. All teachers care. No, they don't. All they care about is the paycheck and the fact that in the summer, they get to kick it with a paycheck. So that's basically, that is truth. That's, you know, that's the hard truth. And so what we need to see is our youth having more access to other academic enrichment programs, right? Some of them may want to go to a Catholic school. Maybe they want to learn about God too, or maybe they want to go to, um, you know, one of these charter schools that are specific for this, or maybe somebody wants to be a, a nurse really, really badly. Why not go to a high school that churns out paramedics and nurses? Uh, why not? Oh, you don't live in the area. Then uh, what can I do? Oh, well, go to your school. But nobody at my school has like a 40% graduation rate. Yeah. Well, then if your kid's smart, it'll shine. Yeah. If it survives, because if it's only a 40% graduation, I mean, look at the schools in Chicago. Terrible. And I'm really glad the president has been moving on that. Now, after the break, we're going to talk more about this racial division. Talk about Raz uh, Simone. Like, I feel really worried for him. And he, in fact, is also scared. Uh, we're seeing a lot of things happen in Chaz, Chop, whatever you want to call it, Beer Garden, you know, Summer of Love. Lots of deaths, lots of rape. And what kind of person says it's a summer of love? they take over people's properties. So bizarre. All right. Welcome back, everyone. So we have a lot of odd things happening, obviously, with racism and, you know, defunding the police and, you know, all these uh, uh, instances of fake hate crimes. You know, we had another Smollett uh, go at it, didn't we? So um, what does this tell us? This tells us that we have a this tells us that we have a problem with our police. And we do. We do. Don't get me wrong. We do. I'll tell you from experience. And we're going to talk about this in the second hour. Um, a listener actually uh, tweeted at me about an incident that I, you know, obviously right now, personal life wise, right? I am, uh, you know, in the middle of something, uh, you know, uh, physically toiling. Do I want to say that? Yes physically toiling. So I'm very preoccupied with um, between now and, and, and Sunday doing stuff. Um, but I was following a story that kept me up all night. 
And we're going to talk about in the second hour how the police are actually aiding sex traffickers. Now, so it's not just the whole racism thing, because this is how mobsters, gangsters, and all these people are able to operate because they have someone on the inside, just like all these trashy, low-life losers we have in Congress and the Senate and in high positions because law enforcement, Justice Department, judges, agencies, alphabet agencies, let them do it. So we're going to discuss that in the second hour. This is about a story uh, in Milwaukee. I'm trying to write the story. I'm trying to tap Haley Kennington, who may have time to help me put it together. Um, reached out to a couple people out there uh, early this morning on the phone. I mean, this is just this. This is a problem. What have we been saying? Racism isn't as big of a problem as child and human trafficking. Yes or no? So this is a big deal. <laughs> very big deal. Huh. Very, very big deal. And remember, the lower level sex traffickers lead you to the higher level ones. This could be why we had so many mm, firings in the Pentagon, too. We'll talk about that as well. So continuing on in respects to uh, the issues that are at hand uh, for racial division, Let's go to Bubba Wallace, Bubba Smollett, right? Who just so happened to go to Don Lamont. Don Lamont. Why is it that every loser that tries to claim a hate crime goes to Don Lamont? It's as if he's involved somehow. Happened with Jesse Smollett. Happened with Bubba Smollett. I mean... If, who are the sponsors of this guy's car? I want to know who the sponsors of this guy's car are. Take a listen to the discussion he had with Don Lamont. That you should feel badly about what happened. Um, no, I know. And I, I'm with you on that. And I appreciate those words. And, and, you know, you talked about it earlier. The people don't want to hear the truth. And I, I, people that want to know me and want to get to know me, the new fans that have come into the sport, I appreciate it. What you, one thing you'll you'll never take away from me is how 100% I am, how raw I am, how real I am, and how I'll shoot it to you straight each and every time because that's how I was brought up and that's what I stand by. And in my statement on Sunday night, this will not break me. None of the the, the allegations of, of being a hoax will, will, will break me or tear me down. Will it piss me off? Absolutely. But that only fuels – the competitive drive in me to shut everybody up to get back out on the racetrack next weekend in Pocono and showcase what I can do behind the wheel under tremendous amounts of BS, whatever it is you want to say. Um, you won't break me. You won't tear me down again. I will still stand proud of where I'm at. You're going to continue to be out front, right? That's it. That's okay. all you got to do. So I, I mentioned this when we talked about the flags because there were, the reports about a news came on the same day. And you could, so this is why you can understand somewhat what happened. On the same day that we saw a Confederate flag flying over Talladega that said defund NASCAR, um, there were people were, had flags on their trucks and on their cars and they were you know, in a, across the street, as I understand, from the race. Do you think the controversy over that flag issue affected the response to this incident? Uh, things. I mean, we were worried about, uh, as, as we say, NASCAR was worried about, you know, Talladega um, uh, being there and, and knowing we were allowing fans back. And 
and some of the most passionate fans are down there. Talladega is one of the, the, the best racetracks to go to. It's uh, We always tell new fans and family and friends that Talladega is one of the races you need to go to just because of the atmosphere there. I've always loved going to Talladega. But we, we had that one circled on the radar with everything going around. Let's just be extra careful. So absolutely, I think you know that, that definitely intensified everything that went on. And uh, unfortunate that everything played out the way it did, but you know there there has there has some some parallels to that for sure. Have you seen ropes like that hanging from garages? Um, is that yeah. is that typical? Don, the, the the image that I have and I have seen. Uh, oh my God! So we found images from 2019, from 2018. Oh my gosh! Listen to what he says. What was hanging in my garage is not a. Uh, it's not a garage pool. Um, I've uh, I've been racing all my life. I've, we've, we've raced out of hundreds of garages that uh, never had garage pools like that. So people that want to call it a garage pool and put out old videos and photos of of, of knots being um, in, uh, in 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 their as their evidence, go ahead. But from the evidence that we have um, that I have, uh, it's a straight up noose. The FBI has stated it was a noose over and over again. NASCAR leadership has stated that it was a noose. I can confirm that. I actually got evidence of what was hanging in my garage, over my car, around my picker, guys, to confirm that it was a noose. And So before I continue listening to this rubbish, um, I'm going to tweet out this video. So anyone listening, and I'm also going to put it in my subscribe star, I want you guys to pay attention to Dom the Mon. He doesn't look like himself. He looks very old and as if the smile lines that he has and wrinkles are not natural. And never seen anything like it. It's not something I, I, I talked to my crew chief about. It. I said, I said, is this something like I, I wanted to make sure we weren't jumping the gun. And I said, this isn't a, a knot. This isn't just a regular old, what you call it? He's like, Bubba. This isn't something that can be done within a second of just tying a knot and being on the way. This so, is something that took time. So what are you saying here? Are you, do you, are you saying that you don't believe? Do you, do you believe that it was intended for you in, in that way? Or are you, what are you saying here? It, it was a noose. It was a noose that was either, whether tied in 2019 or, or whatever, it was a noose. So it wasn't directed at me, but somebody tied a noose. That's what I am saying. Mm-hmm. It was, it is a noose. Yeah. Uh, let me just read uh, from NASCAR here. They said, we appreciate the FBI's quick and thorough investigation and are thankful to learn that this, is, uh, this was not an intentional racist act against Bubba. We remain steadfast in our commitment to providing a welcoming and inclusive environment for all who love racing. What do you think about that? It seems like NASCAR has your back, but are you worried about the backlash? get backlash every day. I think we talked about that, whatever I'm used to it. Um, but it just, it stings a little bit worse when they're trying to test your character, like I said earlier, and try to take something away from me. That's false. Um, but the backlash will always be there. It doesn't matter if we provide 100% facts and evidence, photo evidence, people are going to Photoshop it to make it, make me look like the bad person at the end of the day. I will. Oh man. Who are his sponsors again? Always have haters. I will always have the motivators to go out there and to try to, dethrone me from the pedestal that I'm on for all the kids that are watching and, and want to be in sports. Just know that you will automatically become 
or, or be put on a pedestal, whether you like it or not. That's that's what happens when you you have a voice and you have a platform. People are going to try to take that away from you um, with all their power. They will they will lose sleep over making sure you don't succeed. So you have to be strong. Always keep your head on a swivel, and will always watch your back, but always stand up for what's right. Okay, so let me ask you this because um, I have felt this before. As someone in a position is. Um, sometimes the only, many times the only African-American in the room and on the job, right? Do you feel like you're getting, I know you think, you know that NASCAR, they say that they're supportive, but do you feel like you're out there on a ledge by yourself because you're the only one really speaking out? I haven't seen any representatives of NASCAR, not to be critical of them, uh, on television or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't feel alone. Uh, I I don't, I've had really good conversations with uh, numerous amounts of drivers, Jimmy Johnson, uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Ty Dillon, uh, Ty and I, we actually were, were running. Uh, we weren't running together uh, but before the race on Monday, and we ended up chatting with each other uh, about um, about right versus wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking up, standing up for what's right and what you feel is right in your heart. This isn't, like I said it before, this isn't about sponsorship. This isn't about race wins or, or who you represent. This is about what you feel in your heart, and I feel like there's a ton of support. We We've seen everybody come together on Monday there. That was one of the coolest things that, that I've ever been able to be a part of. Uh, not saying that, that I wanted that, but drivers wanted to do that. They wanted to show support of me. And, uh, you know, now it kind of looks bad, but it doesn't because within their hearts, they, they know they know that it, it is something that they, they want to stand up for. Well, I wanted to say, I was going to put that up if you didn't mention it, because this, when I saw it uh, last night, I was... Um, watching Anderson's show before mine, and I saw what they did, uh, all of the, the, the crew rallying around you, um, and I can tell you that people who don't watch NASCAR, they all saw this. And it, it, no one's going to be watching him race. And who are his sponsors again? I'm just saying. So we have a lot coming out of Chaz, right? We have murders happening. We have uh, rapes happening. We have shootings happening. And... Raz Simone is someone, you know, that we need to be praying for. We need to be praying for Raz Simone because, you know, he's going to be, he's, he's in a difficult spot right now. Uh, He's realizing that these people don't play around and uh, he's not very happy with it. Um, He's expressed that. Uh, he's making it known, and uh, you can just take a look at his Twitter line to see uh, where he's at. Uh, you know, people are sending him, obviously, racist messages uh, via Facebook, but um, it's just pretty incredible, you know, how things are escalating. Um, he's He tweeted, it's not a few bad apples, it's an orchard. I want accountability all the way up. PR and politics shouldn't get in the way of saving lives. We did not kick the police out, did not call ourselves autonomous. Stop believing the crooked fake media. Stop being sheep. Mm, But you did. But you did. And that's what's weird. He did. And so here we are in a time where they're pushing division pushing all of these, uh, you know, conspiracies of hate, conspiracies of, you know, uh, that black lives only matter. Nobody else's, of course, because if you dare say anything else, you're just racist and no lives can matter unless black ones matter first. 
sounds like, uh, what is it called? Black supremacy. Uh, that's something that hurt the message that was originally supposed to be that of peace of the Black Panthers. This is what happens when you radicalize yourself. This is what happens when you believe that what you say, uh, you know, has no weight. Mm, it does. You can't say all lives don't matter. You can't. Constitution identifies impossible to say that. So what we have to remain diligent and focused on is that these pushes for division must stop. And Carson said it best. Take a listen to Ben Carson. Nationwide unrest is escalating. Protesters burning an American flag yesterday in Washington, D.C., just one day after President Trump threatened force against any protesters attempting to establish an autonomous zone in the nation's capital. In Atlanta, armed protesters near the Wendy's, where Rayshard Brooks was killed, are setting up roadblocks to keep cops away. It comes as the Senate gears up to vote today on sweeping police reform legislation. But the vote is in jeopardy as Congress clashes over how to address nationwide demand for change. Joining me right now is the U.S. Housing and Urban Development Secretary, Ben Carson. Dr. Carson, it's great to see you. Secretary, thanks so much for joining me this morning. Thank you. Always good to be with you, Maria. So incredible moment in time. As I said to the AG the other day, we've got massive protests everywhere. These autonomous zones being protected with men and women with guns in, in our own cities. What are you going to do as an official, government official, in terms of bringing law and order back? Well, it's obviously very important that we do have law and order and that people feel safe. You know, one of the reasons that people pay their taxes is so that uh, they will have protection of their personal well-being, their homes, their businesses. And when the government officials fail to do that, Uh, they're breaking a contract with the people. And you allow this kind of uh, anarchy to to continue. That's not who we are. And a lot of it has to do with people always putting their finger up in the air and seeing which way the wind is blowing, rather than doing what is right. And if we continue to uh, allow anarchy, it will only spread. So. Uh, whether you're Democrat or Republican official, mayor, governor, you have an obligation to the people who elected you. Remember that you have no obligation to a party or to an ideology. Yeah, I mean, there are people that are living in, in CHOP, the Capitol Hill organized protest area, that they don't want all of this around their homes. So people's rights are being impacted and their property is being destroyed. So something's got to be done. I know the AG said this can't this can't go on indefinitely. But what is the answer, Secretary? Is it suing the mayor? Is it challenging the city? I mean, what can you do? Well, you you may be a little surprised at my answer, but the the answer lies in each one of us. Those of us who actually love this country, love the freedoms that we have, want to pass this on to our children are going to have to stop being quiet. We have to stop getting in the corner and hoping that nobody notices us so that they won't call us a name. And, uh, you know, the reason that this is the land of the free is because it's the home of the brave. You've got to be brave. You've got to stand up for what you believe in. Otherwise, it will be taken away from you. 
Exactly. This is why you shouldn't be scared to wear your MAGA hat. You shouldn't be scared to have your Trump stickers on your car. You shouldn't be able to call it what it is. You should stand your ground because if you don't stand for anything, you fall for anything. And I just have to say, uh, watching this replay, right, of Dr. Carson, he looks so cute. He looks like the best. He looks like Santa Claus. Uh, he doesn't have the beard or anything, but he's he, he's just emanating this this um this love that's so bizarre. I've never seen it on his face before. Uh, and I think it's because he realizes exactly what we've been saying, right, guys? I mean, you pay taxes for the police to protect you. From the minute they close up shop, you could say, all right, I want my tax money back. Thank you. And file a lawsuit. Uh, hey, you're, you're my, my property's devalued. And now I want, my property was worth 500000 Now it's worth zero because I have people peeing in front of it. And I have tents in front of it. I can't leave my house if I'm the wrong color without being questioned. I leave my house. It could be raided. And what they, what they will call it as a unexpected donation to people of color, right? Don't they say that now, right? If you get robbed, just consider it an unexpected donation. Are you kidding? This is where you need to start using the law. We've been saying this. You don't like something, file it. You don't like something, file it. At least you're doing something because if every single one of us sat down and said, you know what? I don't like this. I am going to file. I don't care. Small claims court, $10. I'm filing it. It's done. If all of us did that and they had tens of thousands of these claims, it's over. There's no more partying for them. There's no more sitting back and trying to raise money for the Democrats. It's finished. It's over. It's done. But people aren't doing it. Yeah, well, certainly it's a very dangerous moment in time right now. Secretary, nearly 46 million Americans now out of work as a result of the coronavirus shutdowns beginning back in March. Do you predict this pandemic will worsen the affordable housing crisis? Where are we on the housing crisis, which you've been trying to combat for so long? Uh, uh, where, where is the availability of housing for those who need it? Uh, well, interestingly enough, uh, you know, this may be an opportunity, interesting because we have received through the CARES Act a significant amount of resources uh, to be able to combat homelessness and uh, to, to make people understand the importance of removing some of the barriers that keep us from building affordable housing and from using a lot of the technology. You know, we're a very innovative society and very entrepreneurial. But when we put all kinds of barriers in the way to keep us from using that, it's not helping us very much. And, uh, you know, we're making progress in working with a, a lot of the various jurisdictions. I was uh, in Florida uh, earlier this week, and uh, the Tamarin neighborhood in West Palm Beach, a beautiful place now uh, for uh, low-income people who are in subsidized housing. But uh, you wouldn't know that uh, from looking at it. The crime rate has gone down enormously. These are the kinds of things that we can do and we can spread around. And it can be done in a way that it doesn't interfere with the character and the nature of various neighborhoods around the country. What about all of this commercial real estate? You know, we're seeing a lot of pushback from people who feel like 
they don't want to go back into dense areas. They don't want to go back into cities. And then in cities, you've got 60, 70, 80 floor buildings that people just don't want to go back to what? Democrat controlled areas. Let's say it. Let's say it the way it is. Democrat controlled areas. I'll see you guys shortly right after this break where we'll talk about what's happening in Milwaukee, what's happening around the world and more. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tory. So in this second hour, we're going to cover a few things. We're going to cover some uh, global scene politics just from Secretary Pompeo's presser. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what President Trump said, his opening, you know, five minutes uh, in Arizona yesterday. And then we're going to talk about um, a few things that are happening in Milwaukee that are really the problem we have with the police. And um, I'll, 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 um, I'll elaborate on that. So before we get into that, I want us to talk about just a little while ago how, uh, you know, the Treasury Department spoke about this potential coronavirus coming back. Uh, it was uh, quite interesting. Take a listen. Department spokesperson Monica Crowley. Monica, welcome back. It's good to see you again. But, Great to uh, be here, Stuart. Why are we thinking about imposing tariffs on goods from the European Union and Britain? Why? Well, from the first day of his administration, President Trump has delivered on his promise to provide more fair and more reciprocal trade for the American people. He has kept that promise through negotiating new, the new NAFTA, the USMCA deal, the phase one China deal. Uh, he's put all of these things in place to make sure that American industries, businesses, and American workers can compete on a level playing field. Last October, the World Trade Organization handed President Trump the authorization to retaliate on about $7.5 billion worth of EU exports uh, because of uh, response to uh, the EU's protectionary measures on Airbus. So this goes back about 15 years. It's been a fight in the World Trade Organization for a long time. And what Ambassador Lighthizer and USTR office has notified the EU last night, that they are prepared to ratchet up the pressure. And as Ambassador Lighthizer has mentioned, he is doing this because he would like to see a settlement in accord with the WTO's findings last okay. October. Okay, so it's a, it's a, t a possible tariffs to prod things along. Okay. Uh, yesterday on this program, we had Larry Kudlow, uh, and he was talking about a second, a possible second stimulus. Listen to what he had to say. Roll tape. I think the tax rebates or the direct mail checks are on the table. There's a lot of discussions going on. Uh, probably we would want to target those uh, to those uh, folks who lost their jobs and are most in need. All right, that's a speculation on my part, but I think this is that's where it's going. Monica, 
the, Larry Kudlow used the words direct mail checks. In other words, ordinary people get a check in the mail. Can you tell me more about that, please? Yes, well, what's astonishing, Stuart, is that President Trump is going to be the first president in modern American history to be called upon to deliver a booming economy not once but twice. Uh, and he is going to do it. Look, this was an unprecedented economic and public health crisis that required unprecedented response. Wait, she's beating around the bush. Let's go back to hear what he said. Just here we go. Mm. Let's go back because he hate it when they do that. Here we go. Are on the table. There's a lot of discussions going on. Uh, probably we would want to target those uh, to those uh, folks who lost their jobs and are most in need. All right. That's a speculation on my part, but I think this is that's where it's going. Monica, the, Larry Kudlow used the words direct mail checks. In other words, ordinary people get a check in the mail. Can you tell me more about that, please? Yes public health crisis that required unprecedented response. What we were able to do through this administration, through Treasury and the Small Business Administration, is stand up this astonishing uh, fiscal response done through sort of a private sector approach to make sure that American businesses, American industries, and American workers were protected through this period of time. That involved uh, the economic impact payments. We were able to get out about 160 million of them in record time. If we see uh, in another few weeks that the need is still there for an additional kind of stimulus, and again, we're hoping that we can move from rescue and relief efforts of the U.S. economy into an economic stimulus, pro-growth incentives. If those conditions still exist in a few weeks, the administration has made it very clear that we will consider all options, including additional stimulus checks. Okay, additional stimulus checks. That's what I want to hear about. Uh, th uh, Monica, thanks for joining us. We okay, what is it with spokespeople? Okay, um, I should mention General Flynn in the sense that, you know, now that has, uh, you know, gone, he won. I already, we already knew that, uh, that it was going to be fine. We already knew that he's going to play a uh, very important role. But one thing that I'm a little bit bothered about, and I think all of us should be, uh, there's no one out there uh, that isn't as joyous as I am, uh, that General Flynn uh, has finally, you know, his, 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 how can I say his, um, his life was turned upside down and they did this on purpose because they know with him free and without chains and without bounds, uh, that he can take them down though. I am disappointed Disappointed on the fact that uh, spokespeople for our agencies uh, waffle or take sides. We do not need things to be politicized. And we do not want to give the image that our Department of Treasury or Department of Housing or Department of the Interior or Department of Justice is, uh, you know, personally advocating. Because then that causes a problem. We all, we all get that. So I, I am hoping that moving forward, that the spokespeople, kind of like Carrie Cooper, which I like, you know, she was like, when in General Flynn's case, hold on, the Department of Justice should be impartial. 
And it should be about the rule of law. So for that, you know, I'm a little bit um, upset because, yes, all of us secretly wanted justice to be seen. Uh, Justice should be heard, but we should never indicate that, you know, this was a personal thing. Because then that just gives more uh, fuel to the other side. And they will use this against us. So, uh, you know, I'm, you know, we should be a lot more careful with these things. Now, um In respects to Roger Stone, I wanted to say that there was an announcement. The attorney general determined the high sentence proposed by the line prosecutor in the Roger Stone case was excessive and inconsistent with similar cases. In the interest of ensuring imposition of a fair sentence, the attorney general directed Tim Shea, who who was then U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, to leave the sentencing to the discretion of the judge. The judge ultimately sentenced Mr. Stone to half the time that the line prosecutors had originally proposed. As he has previously stated, the attorney general did not discuss the sentencing of Roger Stone with the president or anyone else at the White House and had made that decision to correct the filing before the president tweeted about the case. Notably, Mr. Zelensky, a line prosecutor, did not have any discussion with the AG, um, the U.S. attorney or any other member of political leadership at the department about sentencing. Instead, Mr. Zelensky's allegation concerning the U.S. attorney's motivation are based on his own interpretation of the events and hearsay at best, not firsthand knowledge. The attorney general stated during his confirmation hearing that his job is to ensure the administration of justice and that, you know, justice is administered and the enforcement of the law is above and away from politics, though the spokesperson didn't tweet like that before. Now he has and will continue to approach all cases at the Department of Justice with that commitment to the rule of law and the fair and impartial administration of justice. Then Carrie Cooper needs to delete that tweet and apologize for doing so. And that is something we should all be asking and demanding that we have a Department of Justice that is impartial. We always want that. Always. And, you know, the suggestion and the intervention of William Barr in the case of Roger Stone was like, hold on, man. What the heck? Why are you asking for such a sentence? In similar ones, they get slaps on the wrist, a little bit of community service. You're asking for forever. Come on. And that's reasonable. That's where the attorney general says, why are you politicizing the office of justice? Justice needs to be served equally. You can't just pick it because you don't like them. So that is important. See, we have, uh, if you look at the time, Timeline that was tweeted out 18 hours ago, and then two hours ago, it's like DC Circuit ruled two to one, instructing Judge Sullivan to grant DOJ's motion to dismiss the case. Win in the general phone case, flag, 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 flag. You're not supposed to cheer for the win. You should be reporting the news. Now, another announcement from the DOJ is that uh, Barr will be um, heading for the general oversight hearing on July 28th. Um, Again, after July 20th, we're going to start to have a lot of fun. So I I wanted to mention that as we listen to Jim Jordan talk about how um, AG Barr is cleaning up the mess from Obama's Department of Justice. 
yeah, you know, again, his spokesperson and, you know, we're all happy that this happened, but our department of justice should not be happy nor sad. They should just be satisfied that justice has been served correctly. That is all. Well, Hill, a prosecutor who quit the department of justice over the handling of Roger Stone's case will claim he faced political pressure from bosses to go easy on Stone. In written testimony, Aaron Zelinsky, a member of Mueller's team who prosecuted the case, claimed Stone was, quote, being treated differently from any other defendant because of his relationship to the president. Republican Congressman Jim Jordan from Ohio is a ranking member on the House Judiciary Committee. He's going to be there. He joins us right now. Jim, good morning to you. Good morning, Steve. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Although, you know, people are going to look. Uh, these these are brave Department of Justice employees who quit, I think, four in all because they were they they saw that Roger Stone was getting a better deal because he's friends with the president. That's essentially what they're going to say today. No, he's political. He's an Obama holdover who used to write for the Huffington Post. And, and he's got one problem. Judge Berman Jackson sided with the reduced sentence that was the second memo recommendation. So he wanted seven to nine years. There was another memo that said no, three to four years. And guess what? The judge agreed with the other memo. So there's no politics here. The whole premise is false, Steve. The politics. Bill Barr is trying to clean up the politics that existed in the Obama administration. Now, never forget, Eric Holder said he was Obama's wingman. Never forget that it was the Obama Justice Department that went after investigative journalists. It was the Obama Justice Department with Fast and Furious. It was the Obama administration in the last days of that administration. 38 people unmasked Michael Flynn's name 49 times. And now they have right. Jerry Nadler has the gall to say the politics is in the Barr Justice Department and the Trump administration. You've got to be kidding me. Bill Barr is trying to clean up the mess that existed there before. And thank goodness he's doing that. But you know, Jim, that there are a number of people who are saying, look, Bill Barr is just, you know, he's he's the president's wingman, his legal wingman. Uh, you know, he he uh, told the Department of Justice uh, did to to the uh, judge uh, Emmett Sullivan to drop the Flynn case uh, over the last week. He fired the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. It's all part of the plan to help Trump, they say. No, it's all part of the plan so that this doesn't happen again to a president or, for that matter, to any American citizens. Remember what Emmett, Emmett Flood said. He said, if they can do it to a president of the United States, imagine what they can do to you and I. Bill Barr understands that's not justice. That's a double standard, and that's not supposed to happen in this country. Never forget what they did. And I, I, I go back to these facts all the time. They took a dossier that was paid for by the Clinton campaign, took it to a secret court, didn't tell the court who paid for it, didn't tell the court the guy who wrote it was, was biased against the president, was was determined that the president wouldn't win his election, used that to get a warrant to go spy on the Trump campaign. And, and somehow, when Bill Barr tries to right. expose that and make sure we get to the bottom of all that, somehow he's the bad guy. I think he's doing the Lord's work, and God bless him for doing it. Uh, tonight, Brett Baer's got an exclusive interview with Chris Ray, the guy who's uh, running the FBI. Let's watch a quick clip. I think that IG report describes conduct that I consider unacceptable and unrepresentative of who the FBI is as an institution and cannot be allowed to happen again. And I've made that very clear to our workforce. Now, I've put in place an entirely new leadership team. Uh, and even though I wasn't director at the time of, of all of this, my team and I are, are fiercely committed to making sure we fix the problems of the past. Congressman, do you have faith he can fix it? 
Why didn't why, why did it take Rick Grinnell to tell us all the abuses that were done to Michael Flynn? Why didn't Chris Ray tell us that? Why did Chris Ray te testify back in February that everything was fine with the FISA court? There were no problems. And then a few weeks later, uh, Inspector General Horowitz tells right. us all the concerns that he has with with the FISA court. That's my concern. All right. We'll see the whole interview tonight on Special Report. Congressman, thank you very much for joining us live. So what you need to, um, you know, understand is that, um, what, what they are going for is to show that the Department of Justice is compromised. William Barr has not given any form of, um, inclinage that he is politically biased at all. In fact, even when he was working for corrupt people, conducting corrupt things. He was heavy handed, but always with the side of the law. Now, uh, as we see, the law is uh, politically biased. And that began uh, within uh, the Clinton administration. Uh, we're talking 90s and then perpetuated through the Bush administration and then amplified through the Barack Hussein Obama administration. Now, as we see, aside from the fact that justice is now politically motivated and that social justice or public a court of opinion matters more, we're seeing an, uh, a ramp up in the uh, censoring of speech. Now, all of us have a voice. All of us are supposed to continue speaking. Now, one thing um, I dislike is people, uh, you know, putting down their arms saying, well, since it's biased and there's no point in, uh, you know, fighting, I'm just going to sit back. I'm tired of this. I'm, you know, I can't say what I want, how I want. Here's the thing. There are many times that you're found on a battlefield that you don't like. Many times that, you know, the enemy uh, seems to be perched up and you're in the valley climbing up to them, making you an easy target by no means at that time. Do you put down your weapons or you decide, well, I'm going to let this slide and we're going to pick a venue that's more level. No, you continue fighting. What you need to do is connect and organize and together become one strong voice, a very strong voice. Now, speaking of silencing of speech, obviously, my Tory Says page on Facebook has been riddled with, you know, stupid fact checkers. Um and most of them aren't even American citizens, by the way. Um, and also, you know, uh, people piling on it, uh, claiming hate or, you know, whatever, fake news, whatever. Um, Twitter the same, right? And, uh, you know, I'm one to love other platforms, too. So I'm on Gab. I don't use it a lot only because um, it's not instant for me. You know, we're all about instant gratification, but also public discourse there is an echo chamber. I don't have the lefties to see their point of view. I don't have uh, that access. Uh, Parler, I love it. I've, I've been on Parler since Parler began. And I still can't get verified for some reason at all. I've sent my identification. So you have to wonder, like, what's going on? Um, but 
so I'm on those platforms as well. I use them sporadically again, because my interest of being on platforms like Facebook and Twitter is to see what the other side is saying too. Okay. And red pilling one person at a time. And I don't want to call it red pilling. I think it's more, you know, blowing away all that dirt in their eyes where they can't see straight. So the one thing you're supposed to be doing, uh, you know, as a, as a citizen of this nation, because you're a shareholder, you're part of this war, is to call propaganda out as it is by continually putting down facts, by continually putting down what is reality in contrast to what they are stating. And in addition, we're supposed to be there to amplify each other. Amplify meaning not follow back. Amplify meaning, yo, this person just put out some good stuff. Retweet it. Let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation. Everybody join in. Because the bottom line is we are the news. And we together must rise above the noise above the cloud, above, and cut through that social fabric that, you know, Jim Comey said they weaved so well. That's the way it's supposed to go. Now, another thing that we're supposed to be doing, and this is what I like to do, and this is why I'm on these platforms, is to wake people up, right? I've said this, wake them up. Use like actual facts. When they say something, say something with a fact. Make them question what they just put out there. Make them think, yeah, okay, so, you know, they might not listen. All right. But what if they do? See, what you have to think of is, um, okay, my personal Twitter account was banned from Twitter. Obviously, because I, um, you know, said something about Chelsea Handler and, you know, she was screwing that guy from Twitter and anybody that talked about her was immediately like struck out, suspended or banned instantly. Right. And what I thought of is, okay, so they've got algorithms picking up on keywords. Right. But they also have algorithms that um track back to how will it ping back to them? Meaning how much damage can it cause them if you're banned and, uh, you know, and how you tweet, right? So I've been flagged many times. Are you a bot? Check. Let's check you, right? Are you a bot? Let's check you. The thing is everything that I put out there, I'm careful. I'm careful because I want to play by their rules and also deceive their, uh, you know, algorithm, right? And that's what we have to do. I mean, on Facebook, I, I can't seem to, to, to maneuver myself because it's more manual. On Twitter, it's algorithm and, and then pushed up to the manual level. On Facebook, they target all conservative pages and they're assigned like nurses to a patient. <laughs> they're assigned to people because they'll come to you days, weeks, months later and slam you for something. So just so you know. So, uh, you know, I've, I've said this before. My first schooling was at Quarry Station in Florida. It was a key school for information warfare. This is exactly what we're experiencing together right now. 
right now. All of us are doing it. So, uh, you know, we need to, you know, maintain course and counter that. Now, there's a lot of people that get banned, right? But what you need to understand is changing your phone number is not enough. You need a new email, a new phone number, and a new device. If you add your Twitter account to a device that you had when you were banned, you're going to be banned again. That's the key. So, you know, understand how they work. Work within their given. You know, when you go onto enemy territory, right, you can't pick and choose what the rules are. You're in there and you're at war. So what do you do? You make a do with what you have. So that is exactly what you need to be doing. So do it, right? That's what they say. Just do it. You're a soldier. Do it. Well, all of us are actually on the battlefield right now, right? (laughs) Because we're fighting for our freedoms. We're fighting for our nation. And our president is obviously listening to us because he said outsiders, you know? where Bolton was really, really salty, outsiders. Here's what the president had to say yesterday, um, which was quite interesting. To be in Arizona with thousands of patriotic young Americans who stand up tall for America and refuse to kneel to the radical left. That's true. That's true. There is something going on. You feel it, right? You feel the spirit? You know, the other night, a speech I made on Saturday night in a very good place, and we had a great evening, and the ratings came out, you saw that, on television. It was the number one show in Fox history for Saturday night. Ratings. For them, it's all about the ratings. I know that the other folks back there, CNN and MSDNC, I know they're very happy. No, no, they're very happy to see that Fox had the number one show. This is the number one show in the history of Fox News. That's pretty good. Saturday night. Let us also show our appreciation to my good friend, Charlie. I'll tell you, Charlie is some piece of work. who is mobilizing a new generation of pro-American student activists. That's what you are, and really smart. And you'll be up here someday. Somebody in that audience, maybe a few of you, you're going to be up here, right here, who are tough and smart and determined and truly unstoppable. You are. I want to thank also Kimberly, and I want to thank my son. Boy, I watched my son. I got here. Wow. I said, what's this all about? He's good. And people like them. People like them a lot. To everyone here today and watching live all across our country, thank you for bravely defending our nation, our values, and our great American heroes. You. you know what's going on because you're on the front lines of a tremendous intellectual struggle for the future of our country. That's really what you're talking about, the future of our country. You see what's happening. It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. If we weren't here, you could forget it, okay? But we're going to be here, and then you're going to be here, and we're going to keep it going for a long time. 
November 3rd is a big day. Get out, get the parents, get the friends, get the husband, get the wife, get everybody. Now, the difference is they get everybody, even if they're not registered, if they're not citizens, if they're here illegally, they get everybody. That's one of the little difficulties. And, you know, you go through a whole nation and you see what's going on and they report zero illegality. Check out California sometime. Check out, no, check out the, the deal that they signed with Judicial Watch. It was, I think, Judicial Watch was uh, like 1 million or 1.5 million people. They settled, they agreed that that many people either voted illegally, shouldn't have been voting, a lot of things. They settled. And Judicial Watch said, look, we were so high, what difference did it make? What difference did it make? No, they play a very dirty game. You're fighting against an oppressive left-wing ideology that is driven by hate and seeks to purge all dissent. And you understand that. Amazing at that age. Your young people generally, a couple of oldsters out there, friends of mine. The radical left demands absolute conformity from every professor, researcher, reporter, journalist, corporation, entertainer, politician, campus speaker, and private citizen. But we have Charlie, and we have our people, and our people are stronger. Our people are stronger, and our people are smarter, and we are the elite. We are the elite. You know, do you ever notice? They said it two weeks ago. I was talking to somebody. He says, well, you know the elite. I said, what are you talking about, the elite? Who's the elite? They're the elite? They're not the elite. You're the elite. You are. You're smarter. You're better looking. You have a better future. You know your way around better, believe it or not. There's only one thing they have. They're more vicious. They're yes, they are. And malicious and evil and have no moral floor. That's the thing. No moral floor. Listen to what else he said. Listen to what he says about Washington. To every city near you, every suburb and community in America, if the radical left Democrats are put in charge. They want to abolish ICE. Do you have any idea how patriotic ICE people are? I know them. They are very tough. I agree. They're very tough. I agree. They like to fight. I agree. But you don't want to do it. Look, I'm looking at some pretty tough guys right here. Look, you're not going to do it. He's not going into a into an MS-13 nest, swinging, swinging now. These guys are tough. They're smart. They're getting them out by the thousands. They're taking MS-13 out of our country by the thousands. And not only that, let's remember that it was ICE that actually had a list of Pentagon officials that were involved with child trafficking. So, you know, they're fighting us on every single level. They're fighting us because they want to take the country. ...of millions of mail-in ballots using the China virus as the excuse for allowing people not to go to the polls. Hey, we have a virus coming. We have to send, think of it, California. He's going to be sending out millions and millions of ballots. Well, where are they going? Where are these ballots going? 
Who's getting them? Who is not getting them? Little section that's Republican. Will they be stolen from mailboxes as they get put in by the mailman? Will they be taken from the mailmen and the mailwomen? Will they be forged? Who is signing them? Who's signing them? What, are they signed at a kitchen table and sent in? Will they be counterfeited by groups inside our nation? Will they be counterfeited maybe by the millions, by foreign powers who don't want to see Trump win because nobody has been tougher on trade or making our country great again? Exactly. Counterfeit. Here we go. Mail-in ballots is a disaster for our country. It's going to end up in a big for you know. Look, look. Just just forget about all of this stuff. Forget about speeches and teleprompters and all of that. They send out millions of ballots. Who's getting them? How are they delivered? Who's not getting them? Think of it. It's going to be fraud all over the place. And if you look right now, if you look right now. Look at all of the disputes they're having on mail-in ballots. A friend of mine, who's a great guy, had a son who passed away seven years ago. Seven years ago. He came to see me the other day. He said, they just sent to my son, Robert, a mail-in ballot. He died seven years ago. There's no way they can control that. With mail-in ballots, you introduce something in the middle of an election year, And you have something where it's very complex. You have no time to fix this very complex process. It's very complex. This will be, in my opinion, the most corrupt election in the history of our country. And we cannot let this happen. They want it to happen so badly. We believe in the sacred principle of one person, one vote, And that's why we are fighting for the integrity of our elections. He knows what's coming. We saw it yesterday with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Now, not a lot of people spoke about it, but hey, here's what Barack Hussein Obama did. Raising money for Joe Biden. Take a listen. Today, um, because what that tells me is that uh, you're all feeling a sense of urgency. That the same kind of urgency that I'm feeling right now, that Michelle's feeling, that uh, you know, so many of us uh, feel as as we look at the news and we talk to our friends and neighbors and uh, those who are hurting. Uh, and I am here to say that uh, help is on the way if we do the work, because uh, there's nobody that I trust more to be able to heal this country and get it back on track. Uh, than my dear friend Joe Biden. Uh, I I don't think I have to reiterate the situation that we find ourselves in right now. Things were tough in 2008, 2009. Uh, We were going through the worst uh, recession since the Great Depression, uh, a massive financial crisis. We were still in the midst of two wars. Uh, We, I think, were overcoming a decade in which the possibilities of common work and common purpose had been diminished and downgraded and uh, government had been 
uh, starved of the resources that Again, something is up with Obama's face. Something is up from right underneath the lip. Those laugh lines, that chin, something looks really bizarre. And Joe Biden looks really fresh, almost looks as if Hunter is wearing old people skin. Who uh, are undergoing tragedy. Uh, This is somebody who uh, throughout his career has shown that uh, he's in it for the right reasons. Uh, who who didn't get involved in politics to get rich or to hobnob with lobbyists, but was most comfortable with working people uh, and and people who are in the middle class or aspiring to the middle class and and, and asking them and listening to them, how can I help? Uh, And having him with me when we were getting the Recovery Act passed and we were getting the Affordable Care Act passed and dealing with uh, issues like H1N1 uh, that uh, we feared could be a pandemic if it wasn't handled properly, and uh, the Ebola crisis. Somebody who understands the value of having the best people who actually know what they're doing and uh, understand how to organize uh, both the public and the private sector around solving problems. Look at Uh, for the new and shiny object. Uh, But for my money, one of the things that counts the most is, uh, has somebody, whatever mistakes they make or whatever hardships they've gone through, have they shown, have they been tested to have the kind of character that stands up, uh, that is there when you need them? Uh, and that is going to be guided by the kinds of values uh, and honesty and and uh, generosity uh, that uh, won't buckle. Now, uh, from the 10 minute and 53 mark that I played this on, uh, for those of you that are on Twitter, I will post the, both these videos uh, from Don Lemon and um, Barack Hussein Obama. I want you to Pay attention to the 10 minute to 53 second mark of that video um, and notice the difference in the teeth and the movement of the mouth. You can also see that a lot of air was being blown into the cheek for the sound made as a linguist. Air, breathing, and where sounds come from is important. This is pretty bizarre. And another more bizarre thing is Biden stood there for 11 minutes, simply there still, Changing positions maybe once or twice um, doesn't look like Biden either. So bizarre. See, this is a period of bizarreness. But like I said, everything's going to start to come into focus. And for the better, after Labor Day. Okay, after Labor Day. But now we're going to see we're going to see that we're going to see those indications after July 20th. After July 20th, we are going to see those indications and we're going to understand uh, why it's taken so long. I know a lot of people were upset that I said, you're not going to see your perp walk. You're not going to see them now. Okay. When the perp walks come, it's going to be when we can actually do the perp walks. We're not going to perp walk petty thieves because that's what they are. Even Obama, believe it or not, maybe a little bit higher ranking. 
What we need to do is disable those that fund them, them, specifically Rudy. Ah, who's Rudy? I don't know. You got to ask Nancy because that's her boss. And it's not doctor, 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 doctor. Rudolf is one, one of them. Now, I said they, 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 they. They are just a handful. You are a mass. Use it. Now, moving along quickly, let's um, recap uh, quickly. What uh, We're just going to listen to what Secretary Pompeo had to say. Uh, and we're going to jump into what happened in Milwaukee, how people took matters into their own hands, and how they saw and documented police evacuating child traffickers. But first, Pompeo. It's like Hezbollah by encouraging our partners to designate or ban them, as Paraguay, Argentina, and now the United Kingdom did just last year. Last year, too, we held the first of two ministerials focused specifically on counterterrorism in the Western Hemisphere. No administration has forged closer ties in our hemisphere and alliances working on important problems like counterterrorism, as we have done. The Defeat ISIS coalition has remained strong. It's completed the destruction of the so-called physical caliphate in Iraq and Syria. And thanks to our great U.S. military, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi is dead. Now, to be clear, there's still counterterrorism work to do. ISIS and al-Qaeda branches and affiliates in Africa, Venezuela, and Cuba cozy ties with terrorists and increasing ELN attacks in Colombia are problems that remain, but we're undaunted in our pursuit of bringing terrorists to justice. I'm pleased uh, today to announce that the State Department has increased our reward offer, now up to $10 million, for information about the location of the new leader of ISIS. Coordinator for Counterterrorism Sales will uh, today spend some time with you, working through, talking you through uh, his team's report. He's here with me to answer all of the questions you have. I mentioned previously for a moment the Maduro regime. A few comments on Venezuela. Over the last two weeks, the illegitimate Venezuelan Supreme Court has decreed a new regime-aligned electoral commission and stolen the name and branding of two major political parties, replacing their leadership with Maduro's lackeys. These are unconstitutional actions. They make a mockery of democratic processes. And the Venezuelan people are fighting to protect those very freedoms that they so richly deserve. The best pathway out of the Venezuelan crisis is through a broadly acceptable transitional government to administrate free and fair presidential and parliamentary elections. The Maduro regime has also mismanaged Venezuela's abundant natural resources to the point that a country with one of the world's largest oil reserves must import gasoline from Iran. Today, the United States is sanctioning five Iranian ship captains who delivered around a million and a half barrels of Iranian gasoline to Venezuela in support here of the illegitimate Maduro regime. These captains' assets will be blocked and they won't be able to operate in U.S. waters. Mariners who do business with Iran and Venezuela will face consequences from the United States of America. We will continue to support the National Assembly Interim President Guaido and the Venezuelan people in their quest to restore democracy. Turning to another rogue actor, the Islamic Republic of Iran. Last Friday, the IAEA Board of Governors adopted a resolution calling on Iran to provide the IAEA inspectors the information and access it's obligated to provide. I want to thank Director Grossi and his team for their faithful work. 
Iran's denial of access to IAE inspectors and refusal to cooperate with the IAEA's investigation of potentially undeclared nuclear material and activity raises serious questions about Tehran's efforts and what it is precisely that they are trying to hide. Iran's refusal to cooperate is wholly separate from the JCPOA. This is simply about whether Iran is honoring its own legally binding safeguards obligations. If Iran fails, if it fails to cooperate with the IAEA obligations, the international community must be prepared to take further action. Today, Special Representative Hook is briefing members of the United Nations Security Council on our diplomacy to prevent the arms embargo from expiring uh, on Iran in October of this year. Without action, on the 18th of that month, Iran will be able to purchase advanced weapons systems and become the arms dealer of choice for terrorists and rogue regimes huh, all throughout the right? world. Interesting, right? This is unacceptable. Iran has been under arms restrictions by the United Nations since back in 2007. And one of the greatest failures of the Iran nuclear deal was to allow these restrictions to expire without regard to how the regime behaved. The resolution that we will present to the UN Security Council would extend the conventional arms embargo on the leading state sponsor of terror. Our focus now is to work with the Security Council to pass this resolution. But in the event it doesn't happen, I would remind the world that the Obama administration's officials said very clearly that the United States has the unilateral ability to snap back sanctions into place. Two quotes. First, from President Obama. He said, If at any time... If at any time the United States believes Iran has failed to meet its commitments, no other state can block our ability to snap back those multilateral sanctions. And then my predecessor, Secretary Kerry, said, look, if we're not happy, we can go to the Security Council. And we alone, we alone can force a vote on snapping back those sanctions. The legal options in the Security Council are clear. Our great preference is to have a council resolution that would extend the arms embargo, but we are determined to ensure that that arms embargo continues. Uh, to change gears just a bit, and then I'll take some questions. Uh, we also assert ourselves as a force for good throughout the world. It's not just about the dangers we face. Last week, we released an additional $93 million to boost, a, boost, boost COVID assistance throughout the world, bring the State Department and USAID's assistance total to more than $1.3 billion, more than 100, across more than 120 countries. Tomorrow, uh, interagency leaders will convene the private sector counterparts as part of our program called Asia Edge, or Enhancing Development and Growth Through Energy. Asia's energy demand is projected to increase by 60% in 2040, and we're proud to work through our revamped development finance corporation to help pair up countries with American companies, the best partners for helping meet that need. Also tomorrow, uh, Senior Advisor to the President Ivanka Trump, Ambassador John Richmond, and I will unveil the 2020 State Department Trafficking in Persons Report. Crushing human trafficking at home and abroad has been a high priority for President Trump and our administration. So on that note, let's talk about human trafficking. So uh, here's, here's, um, here's something odd. So yesterday... Um, missing, uh, you know, parents, uh, stated that, um, two 14 year olds, um, were missing. 
mm, two little girls were missing. And for some odd and bizarre reason, uh, you know, the police didn't really do much. Uh, they didn't really do much. And so what happened? Uh, the neighbors in the community decided to take things into their own hand, which they did. And what they did was they tracked down where uh, these children may indeed be. And so they followed the road down to uh, a group of persons, right? Um, they they actually went, uh, well, it was actually on Sunday that they were missing. So Tuesday it heated up. Okay, let me, let me just go uh, backwards. So first of all, the girls were reported missing. The police obviously uh, didn't even bother to look. There was no Amber Alert. I'd be pissed if that happened to my 14 year old. So anyway, uh, so, uh, yesterday, um, it was like, uh, well, it was actually Monday night to be exact. Um, one of the girls' moms were constantly trying to find their child, uh, calling, you know, uh, cell phone companies. Like, uh, guys, you know, I mean, these cell phone companies, they, 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 they can find you with a drop of a hat instantly and nothing. Anyway, finally, one of them got through, got someone on the phone that was willing to do their job or maybe go that extra mile and they found uh, the location of the phone. Now, the parents called the police and the police never called them back, right? So what happened was a bunch of people got together and went to that house where the phone was located and started knocking. The minute they went in there, uh, they went to the house and uh, said that they were looking for these girls. Shots were fired. So suddenly shooting ensues when they're looking for kids. And then the police shows up and they arrested uh, the shooters. But, uh, you know, uh, said, oh, I don't I don't see any evidence of any little girls here. So they left. The police just. So what are neighbors, you know, we are a community, right? We are a community. What do they do? They're like, well, hold on a second. Let's go find this phone because the phone is there. So let's take a look. And they found, uh, you know, bloody, um, uh, shorts or pants, something like that, or booty underwear. I don't remember exactly, um, how she told me. I don't have my notes in front of me, you guys, but anyway, uh, so, but they didn't find the girls. Now, um, you know, everyone started doing digging. I mean, in the age of information, ignorance is a choice. Turns out there's sexual predators in the area. So what happened was they, uh, a, a few hours later, someone actually set the van and the house on fire. Now, who did it? Nobody knows. Did the people do it? I don't know. Maybe it was to burn evidence, right? But um, neighbors, the community, right, actually found the girls and two more kids that were missing yesterday afternoon. They found them following tips from house to house. That's basically what they did. They were knocking, asking, well, I've seen, oh, well, I've seen. And they followed those because they were interested in finding these children, right? So here we are where they find four kids, not just the two missing, altogether four. <sighs> Sex trafficking, right? Now, none of the police did 
anything. Did anything. Instead, what they did was they were talking down to the residents, telling them to mind their busy. And even some of them, from what I got, the accounts were actually threatened with being arrested arrested and they started using rubber bullets tear gas you know because you know um the people were actually doing their job which was insane completely insane and what's even more insane is that the local media when they covered this they said angry crowd sets fire to home and van suspected in sex trafficking right this is what they said They said an angry crowd set fire to a home in a van suspected of being used in sex trafficking. Why would they set it on fire? Police searched Tuesday for two missing teen girls near 40th and Westlake. No, they didn't. They came because shots were fired. Family members said they were found and safe, not because of the police. So both girls, one of them was named uh, Tydriana Perkins and the other one was Gilbriana Perkins, ages 13 and 15, uh, were seen um, on Sunday. That's when they went missing and tons of people, um, you know, started the search and rescue. Now, the police officers, they say, taped the place and they were seen looking in the van. The crowd was shouting at the police to find the teens. After the officers left the scene, members of the crowd began smashing the van and windows, breaking and breaking into the house. This is what they said. And so I'm going to play some video here from the footage of ABC fire to a home near 40th and Lloyd in Milwaukee. There are reports that that home is connected to the search for two missing girls. Matt Salemi is in News Chopper 12. Matt, we can see that house burning below. Yeah, Patrick, when we left you at 5.30, they had started a van on fire just behind the house, and then there was a small pile of debris that had been thrown out a back window. They lit that pile of debris on fire, and then were throwing items into the back window. The room right at 5.30 just erupted in flames, and the house has been burning pretty much out of control ever since. It took a while for the fire department to get here. We saw tornadoes of flame and black smoke belching out the side windows of the main story as it quickly spread to the roof, and that's where it is now. But they do now have multiple lines of water on the, on the fire, and they're starting to uh, beat it back a little bit. Some of that black smoke changing to more of a steam at this point. But as you can see, there's still flames belching out of that rooftop. Uh, some of the uh, attic must still be on fire as they pump water into the side windows. and. Uh, So, uh, oh, so there's a fire, right? Fire, fire. Well, you know, the people had to say something completely different. They said something else happened. Take a listen to this. I got you. They should just let us whip his ass, dog. Bro, I swear, if we rush their ass right now, they can't stop nobody. Oh, they done pulled the van up to the door so they could sneak a shit out. They sneak a shit out. They sneak a shit out, dog. Put that nigga on the split. Show that nigga face, dog. Right Show that nigga face. My shit got blurry as a motherfucker. So the police were sneaking out sex traffickers. Are you listening? iPhone. Oh, they sneaking niggas out, dog. They sneaking niggas and bitches out. Look. They were sneaking them in and out. Are you listening? The police. The police were sneaking them in and out. Are you listening? The police. Yes, the police. And I say this. From, from <laughs> None of these rings can exist without the assistance of their local police, their local city councils, mayors, people with high-powered jobs, ATF, ICE, et cetera, et cetera, Border Patrol, you name it. 
there's always someone corrupt, again, following the money. I'll have a story out hopefully by tomorrow on this Milwaukee case. I'm waiting to interview uh, a few more people that were on the scene. God bless. See you tomorrow. 